Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I was disappointed. Perhaps in the brief segment I watched, the speaker's full opinions were not adequately communicated. It happened during the television program Songs of Worship that my wife and I enjoy watching on BBC television every Sunday. Because of the time zone difference of five hours, when we return home from Sunday school and church here in Nassau, the BBC program has already aired in the UK and has been recorded for us so that we can sit down, watch it while we are having our lunch. This week I saw this man being interviewed about an outreach program at the church that he attended. Apparently he had not always been a churchgoer. The church which he now attends had apparently put on some program that his wife wanted to go to and he decided to go along with her. And he's continued to attend ever since. He says his attendance at church has made him a better person. It struck me that this emphasis, being focused on being a better person, seemed to suggest that his being better was based on good works or on doing less bad things, being considered by others as a moral person. As he said in his interview, being a better person, I wondered in whose eyes he would be thought of as being a better person. There didn't seem to be any spiritual dimension to his being a better person. No reference to the Lord. No mention of his salvation, just a better person. I suppose that, in itself, this could be considered as a positive thing, depending, of course, what he was like before he started attending church more regularly. Being ostensibly a better citizen and neighbor is probably an improvement, but surely going to church should provide more than being morally better than you used to be before going to church. The church, as referenced here, is a location, a building, a place, where the followers and disciples of God can meet for the purpose of worshipping, to be built up in their holy faith, to encourage and meet each other's needs. I hope he meant all of this when he spoke to the BBC cameraman that day. In the same programme, one of the songs introduced and sung by a very motivated congregation grabbed my attention and riveted my eyes and ears to the television. I think my heart was also. The host said that it was a powerful song that had been written in 1904 and had been used mightily during the Welsh Revival, which began, I believe, that same year, 1904. I've looked up the lyrics of the song. It's entitled, Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean. And I want to share these words with you since they speak so eloquently of the love of God and of his love for us. I share the words with you and ask that you allow God's Spirit to shed abroad in your own heart a feeling of the love that drew salvation's plan, the love that brought it down to man. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout 
heaven's eternal days. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Who is love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Never to be forgotten, your sacrifice this place requires. Never to be forgotten, Lord, throughout eternity. No love is higher, no love is wider. No love is like your love, O Lord. Sing 
message for today. Here is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee. Greetings. Welcome again to Echoes of Calvary. Today I would like to address the topic, the Christian's role in and relationship to culture. Or another way of stating it may be, the Christian's impact upon culture. I want to see if we can talk it through biblically, as we used to say before, to help answer a pressing question that now confronts the Christian in an increasing secular and humanistic culture that is now promoting tolerance and untruthfulness as the basic social value, and also to encourage believers to heed a specific admonition of Jesus Christ. The question is this, how do we as Christians who believe that the Bible is the word of God How do we voice our belief that there are absolute moral values and that Jesus Christ is the only way to God and to do so without appearing to be arrogant or intolerant of someone who thinks otherwise? Now, this is a crucial dilemma facing Bahamian Christians today. The admonition we are challenged to obey by Jesus Christ is to read the signs of the times. And my friends, there are signs all around us today that warn us of an insidious, subtle, but concentrated and ever-increasing open attack on the traditional Christian mores, principles, values, and mindset that have long been the underpinnings of our Bahamian society. Jesus scolded the people of his day for not being able to discern the signs of the times. Now, think, Christians, think. What are the signs of the times today in our culture? If Jesus were here today, would he scold us for the same reason? Think for a moment. Ethical, moral, and social issues now dominate the headlines of our newspapers, our radio, and our TVs. Gambling, same-sex marriage, homosexuality, these are the current focus, and all are being politicized rather than moralized or even spiritualized, and that in spite of the fact that our Constitution is specifically and purposely based on the Judeo-Christian Holy Scriptures, the Bible. I ask you again, what does this mean to us as Christians What is the challenge we face? In the words of Christ, Christians must be able to discern the signs of the times. We must be alert to what is taking place in our nation. We must be able to see and understand why people do what they do, not only what they are doing, especially those in leadership position whose decision and actions affect our lives. Why are they doing what they are doing. All of us, 
both Christian and non-Christian, act out what we believe. We do not act or live in a mindless vacuum. Our actions are based on what we believe, and that is so whether we are aware of it or not. The scriptures are clear. As a man thinks, so is he. That simply means that we act out or live out what we believe. And of course, what we believe begins or formulates in our minds. Christians, therefore, must be aware of the fact that there is a present attack on the traditional Christian worldview, our mindset, our way of thinking, which I say has been the foundation of and basis for our moral behavior as Bahamians for the past 200 years or even more. Admittedly, these principles and our behavior have never been 100% in accord on a personal or individual level. This is true even with regard to Christians. However, there has always been a public and official stance on biblical morality, and it has always reflected respect for Christian principles. However, that worldview is now being challenged by a new generation who seems to be completely unaware of how it has helped us lead us unto our God, that is, the biblical morality. There's a growing and very vocal group of Bahamians who believe that if we are culturally enlightened and want people to respect what we have to say, then we must be more tolerant of beliefs that differ from our own, especially and perhaps specifically if these beliefs are based on the Word of God, the Bible. The amazing paradox here, of course, is that the very people who are calling for tolerance on the part of Christians toward those who differ from them make that calling with overtones of intolerance toward the Christians themselves. In other words, they are intolerant toward those whom they claim to be intolerant. One vivid illustration is this. Those who believe that same-sex marriage is just and moral label those who disagree with this view as being homophobic. Now, this is a heavily hate-laden designation. Rather than simply saying, okay, we agree to disagree, they seem to fail to realize that if we follow their logic, then we who disagree with their position should logically unjustify label them as being heterophobic. Think, Christians, I say, think. Tolerance is now replacing truth as the most desired virtue. Many unthinking Christians are being caught up in this new cultural revolution and unsuspecting and undiscerning victims. Think, Christians, I say, think. How are Christians, who are called to be bold and confident proclaimers of the truth of the gospel, to live in this kind of oppressive cultural environment? We must understand that justice and equality will become realities in our society, not by superficially showing tolerance, but by embracing absolute truth, an unwavering truth, which at times may even demand intolerance. It is a truth that only a God who is a righteous judge and a loving creator can establish. So then, let's address the question directly. How do Christians reach, as commanded by Christ, 
a culture that is seeking to replace truth with tolerance. First, we must commit ourselves to the fact that God's word as revealed in the Bible is truth, absolute truth, or as the late Dr. Francis Schaeffer puts it, true truth. This is the truth that has both absolute authority and absolute power. It is God's truth. It is divine truth. As such, it is fixed truth, unchanging truth, absolute truth. This is the kind of truth that cannot show tolerance for anything that contradicts, denies, or dilutes it. As the Reformers said of the Word of God, it is a norm that norms all norms, but cannot be normed by any of those norms. It is the absolute and final standard of measurement of morality. Murder, for instance, is, has been, and always be wrong and immoral because the word of God says it is wrong and immoral. Fornication and adultery and sodomy are and have always been and will always be wrong and immoral because the word of God says fornication, adultery, and sodomy are wrong and immoral. God says they are wrong. God says they are immoral, and that will never change. No scientific progress, no cultural progress, no social progress, no government advancement, no human rights advocates, no social scientists, nor anyone or anything else will ever be able to change this fact that God has established. God's truth as revealed in the Bible is and will remain infallible, unalterable, and binding, even if heaven and earth shall pass away. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God as our defense against the enemy, whom he shows are backed by demonic powers. In verse 14, Paul reminds Christians that first and foremost, we are to stand firm, having girded our loins with truth. Or, as the King James Version puts it, we are to put on the belt of truth. In other words, in such a morally decaying culture as ours, which is now demeaning the Christian perspective, we must remain steadfast and resist these attacks of the evil one. And Paul says that we are to do so by preparing ourselves for the fight. We do this by girding on or empowering ourselves with the truth of God. It is the foundation for everything else. Jesus said that he is the truth. And the writer of the Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He never changes. He is absolute. And he is truth. So in actuality, we are being told that to combat and resist the current cultural attempt to force Christians to compromise their moral and spiritual convictions and be tolerant to evil and immoral practices, we must put on Christ. We must be and live like Christ. We must live out the truth of God's word. To deny or abandon it is to deny and abandon Jesus Christ. It is as simple and clear-cut as that, and that's truth, absolute truth. Second, if we are walking in truth, 
we will discover that there is a time for both tolerance and intolerance. For example, Jesus associated himself with the sick, the poor, and the dejected. He shared meals with prostitutes, tax collectors, and criminals. Christ does not judge us by our skin color or social status, but rather by the condition of our hearts. Yet, as accepting as Jesus Christ was, he was extremely rigid about the exclusiveness of what he said, of his claims. Of all the choices in life, he tells us, for instance, that there is only one way, there is only one truth, and that there is only one life, and that's his way, his truth, and his life. I ask you now, how much more exclusive, how much more intolerant can you get than this? Christians need to remember that loving another person may sometimes mean respectfully but firmly intolerant of what is not true. And from a biblical perspective, friends, sodomy is contrary to God's truth. Homosexuality is contrary to God's truth. Therefore, same-sex marriage is also contrary to true truth. And that's an absolute fact. We must apply this principle in our response to the sodomite community who are trying to force us to accept their lifestyle as being normal, natural, and true as well. We must hate and reject this sinful lifestyle, but we must not and cannot hate them, disrespect them, or disregard their worth, their value, and dignity as human beings who are made in the image of God and for whom Christ died on the cross. We must lovingly reach out to all as we lovingly reach out to any sinner, appealing to them in behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That too, my friends, is an absolute. Be tolerant of the sinner, but never be tolerant of his or her sin. As Christians, then, we put on the belt of truth by confronting doctrinal and moral error. Listen to the words of Paul to the young Timothy. After advising him of the nature of certain erroneous teachings being spread about in Ephesus, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.6, If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teachings that you have followed. End of quote. A good minister, then, is one who confronts error boldly but truthfully and passionately and lovingly. Any tolerance of sodomy and homosexuality are the result of erroneous doctrine. Ministers of the gospel therefore have both a moral, professional, and divine right and obligation, responsibility to confront it and to teach what is according to the word of God. Now, of course, this puts a tremendous demand on believers, especially ministers of the gospel, to be biblical in the approach to dealing with the obvious mounting public expression of sodomite behavior in our nation. We dare not mishandle the word of God in our response to this issue. We must be careful to heed the admonition of Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15, where he says, and I quote, 
Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. End of quote. In other words, my friends, we must study and think before we speak or act, or else we could find that we are not only putting our feet in our mouths, but also contributing to the defeat of the very cause we are trying to promote. I give one more admonition based on the word of God and cognizant of some of the criticisms that have been leveled against the church and its leaders in today's culture. We are to put on the truth of God by not compromising the gospel through hypocrisy or fear. Listen again to some additional commands to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. 1 Timothy 3.9 Keep hold of the deep truth of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, we must live out or practice what we say we believe. Our preaching must be backed up by our practice or else we are nothing but hypocrites. If there is sin within the Christian community, that sin must be dealt with according to the word of God, not overlooked or compromised. In other words, if there are some practicing sodomites in our congregations, and we are aware that they are there, we must minister to them in love, but adamantly refuse to allow them to be involved in any type of ministry whatsoever until they change their lifestyle and be cleansed through faith by the blood of Christ. And likewise, if you are members of a congregation of which your pastor or any other member of your leadership is a practicing sodomite, then either the man that they resign and leave, or you do so yourself. My friends, you cannot obey God's command to keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience and sit under the ministry of a leadership of someone who is a known sodomite or any other practicing sinner, whether it's adultery or fornication or whatever it is. You cannot sit under that kind of ministry and still say that you protest such behavior with your mouth. Please keep the right perspective here. This message is not directed toward the sodomite. It is directed toward the Christian who believes, and rightly so, that sodomy is wrong, sinful, and immoral. It is meant to challenge the Christian to think, Christian, think, before we act or speak, so that our actions and our speech will not make us to be ashamed, but rather that we stand approved before God and man because we have handled the word of God accurately and we have lived a Christ-like life as we live that word out in our life. As always, this is Senior Pastor Meritus Allen Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things.
You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great commander's promise He will surely come again I am listening every moment For the mighty trumpet sound What a time we'll have together When the saints shall leave the ground And our toiling will be Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again